We have four portraits of Jesus in the New Testament. They go by the names of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called Gospels. And there's overlapping material throughout these Gospels, that, but there's also material that's unique to each one. In the Gospel according to Luke, there's a story about the time that Jesus preached for the very first time. It took place in his hometown congregation, his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And this is what happened. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. There's one hobby that has become incredibly popular during the global pandemic, and I can summarize it in three words. Puzzles are back. Susan has really enjoyed putting together puzzles over these last 18 months. They've been a very nice, creative distraction. And these are not easy puzzles to assemble. For her, they usually come in boxes like this with a minimum of a thousand pieces, and every piece is just about that size. That's pretty challenging. I like to work on a slightly larger scale myself. In fact, I once made a puzzle that I enjoy putting together. Here's one of the pieces. As you can see, that's a, that's a puzzle that I can get my hands around. In fact, it's one of five pieces, a five-piece puzzle. Yeah, slightly different skill level that uh, we're talking about here. During the global pandemic, during these past 18 months, Susan and I have, have sometimes talked about why puzzles are becoming so popular once again, and I think there's some good reasons for it. For one thing, the act of putting together a puzzle is calming. When we're really, really focused on it, the fears and the worries that we've been carrying with us can subside and evaporate because puzzles are also very engaging, especially if you're putting together a puzzle that has a thousand pieces and 700 of those pieces are one color. So that's something that's going to engage both hemispheres of the brain. And ultimately they're satisfying. Once a puzzle is done, you get a sense that you've accomplished something. And during this time when we're in an ever evolving situation, it's really helpful to have some activities from time to time that we can complete and over which we can, we can express a certain pride. Different people have different strategies for putting puzzles together. Uh, sometimes uh, a person might be comfortable just starting with a random piece. Others like to work from the middle or from, the from a color or from the border. I like to start with a border piece myself. Keep adding piece by piece, and then once that border is complete, 
I get a sense that, well, maybe I can, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can complete this. And then I start moving into the interior. When Jesus stood up to preach for the very first time, to share with his hometown congregation his personal vision and mission, he was putting down the first piece of a puzzle that everyone coming after him would help to create, and we're still adding pieces to that puzzle. Of all the stories from the Hebrew Bible that he could have used as that first piece of the puzzle, he chose a passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah, one of the longest books in the Hebrew Bible, written over centuries by multiple people. It contains some of the most beautiful poetry in the Hebrew Bible, and perhaps as a natural poet, Jesus was drawn to that. And he found in that book one passage that he shared with his hometown congregation, and this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wherever Jesus went in his ministry, he brought with him the spirit of compassion that runs through those words. So when he welcomed children who were certainly the most vulnerable population at the time in which Jesus lived, he was bringing good news to a vulnerable group of people. When he drew within the circle of his care and his concern, women or those who'd been ostracized because of a disease or those who'd been pushed to the margins of society because for whatever reason they just didn't fit in, he was bringing good news to the people who were used to looking at the world from the outside in, and he brought them into the loving center of his concern. Jesus made compassion the first piece of the puzzle that he started. And we work in the hope that our contributions will add to the foundation that he established. I hope that when I'm working with a committee, that we would be able to stop in the middle of our deliberations and say, do we feel that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he's bringing us to bring good news to the poor? I hope that the contributions that we make through our outreach programs are bringing good news to people who desperately need encouragement and a sense of, of uplift as they're trying to make their way in the world. I hope that when we reach out to one another, that when we talk with one another, that we are reflecting in our lives the same tenderness and compassion that Jesus brought into his interactions with people. And if we ever feel that we're losing our way as individuals, that we can't quite find the purpose in life, we've sort of lost a sense of center, that we would be able to ask ourselves this simple question. Are we still working on the puzzle that Jesus started? Or do we seem to be spending our energies on something else? I agree with Robin Myers, the author of the book, The Underground Church, when he says, people are not leaving churches today 
because they've lost their deep hunger for a spiritual connection and participation in authentic spiritual communities. Rather, they're fleeing because so many churches now seem bereft of the very spirit that birthed them in the first place. I think he's right. I think people are still looking for a life in which we can say about ourselves, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to my world. For this autumn season, our sermon series will be called Compassion Finds a Way. And one of my hopes is that we will take time to receive this word and its many meanings into our lives in a way that makes us more thoughtful about it. In Karen Armstrong's book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life, the longest chapter of that book is called Learning About Compassion. And I think part of what we can do is to receive this word with a fresh sense of curiosity. Now, Karen Armstrong says, each of the world's religions has its own particular genius, its own special insight into the nature and requirements of compassion and has something unique to teach us. And we should recall that the sages and prophets and mystics of these traditions did not regard compassion as an impractical dream. They worked as hard to implement it in the difficult circumstances of their time as we work today to find a cure for cancer. They were innovative thinkers, ready to use whatever tools lay to hand in order to reorient the human mind, assuage suffering, and pull their societies back from the brink. In other words, their, their quest for learning was all designed to express itself in action. Compassion, as it's described in these various world religions, is a mighty force. It's what Mahatma Gandhi might have called soul force. And it's recognized in all of these world traditions as being central to a fully human life. Compassion is an energy that can give us the capacity to forgive. It's an energy that can help us to receive others with patience and humility. It's an energy that can help us to look out into the world with hope and to use all of our creative faculties to understand how we can improve the conditions of the world for all people. Jesus really gave compassion a workout, and he used it to stand against the forces, the prejudiced attitudes, the unjust systems that prevented the people of his, tri of his time from living fully human lives. So Jesus didn't start his ministry by saying, well, you know, we face many challenges today. He started out by saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was a vote of confidence and a vote of confidence in himself as well as in God. In that moment, when he stood up in front of his hometown congregation, he was claiming a truth about himself that was God-given, that no Roman law could ever take away, maybe the deepest truth of all that he was a spirit-centered person whose purpose in life was to awaken in others their unique spiritual powers. This is really the mission of the church. For, for those who are in the church to gather in ways that help us to identify and explore and exercise our spiritual gifts and then to invite the world to come in and join us.
Jesus took the energy of life and he spent his whole life giving it away. When I think about that phrase, energy of life, I think of the great dancer, Martha Graham. Martha Graham once said, there is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And there is only one of you in all time. This expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, not, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep it open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. That's really what Jesus was doing in his life. This is what made his life so remarkable that he kept this channel of creative spirituality open. He did what great artists do. Great artists constantly pour out the fullness of their creative energies, always working on the faith that what has been given away will be replenished by the loving ways of a spirit that can never be exhausted. Even though Jesus was poor, mostly homeless for his life, he was drawn to lighten the burden of others. He knew the secret of life, which is we are loved and we are called upon to love others. That's what it means to be fully human. And the whole point of the church is to keep adding to the joy that he created. That's the, that's the sense that I have about the church, that when we're really on the right track, there's this spirit of joy about what we're doing. Thomas Merton, who was a wonderful writer, he was a monk who lived in the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky, but his writings were so important to people when he was alive during the 1950s and 60s. And after his death, his writings have continued to be very important as resources for spiritual truth. And on one occasion, he said, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. Love is a transforming power of almost mystical intensity which endows the lover with qualities and capacities they never dreamed they could possess. We are loved and we are called upon to love others. Every week, the list of things we can't control about the world seems to get a little longer. But every day, we can wake up and open our eyes and we can say those ancient words as if they've never been said before. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the spirit has anointed me. The spirit has anointed us, all of us, to bring good news to the disenfranchised, to bring a spirit of, of strength and encouragement everywhere we walk on the face of this earth wake up in the morning and to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, and then to find ways of finishing off that sentence as the day unfolds and to do that in partnership with God. Be compassionate as God is compassionate. That's what Jesus said. It's the key to happiness. And I think it's the hope of the world. Amen.